We're going to turn to the Bible now, to our text for this morning. Uh, As Jeff said, it comes to us again from the book of Ephesians, uh, from chapter 5 now. We're getting to the end of Ephesians. We've got three uh, weeks left after this week. And today we're going to be considering Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 21. And Karina's going to be reading it for us. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such as a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, and the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you. Uh, We're going to be parking verse 21. It's kind of a hinge verse between this passage and the next. We're going to be parking that verse till next week when we consider husbands and wives. But the rest of this we're going to be considering in some detail. So please keep your Bibles handy. Uh, There are sheets at the entrance for you to follow along with. Hopefully you've got one. If not, there should still be some there. Uh, And we're going to unpack this passage together this morning. Perhaps one of the most uh, famous or notorious crime groups uh, in history, or at least in recent history, would have to be the Mafia. We've all heard of the Mafia, we've all seen them in you know, movies, they, they all wear bad suits and have Tommy guns and uh, are very, very ominous and, and kind of dark. Uh, but really, when you, you read the story of the Mafia, it's quite a remarkable story. Their, their influence was enormous, their, the power they wielded was huge, and they made stacks of money uh, doing it. One of the, the reasons they were so strong was the, they were very organised. 
uh, the mafia organised themselves into what they called families. Each uh, city had a family besides New York, which had five, and each of these families had very strict rules that you had to follow. Uh, Here are the seven rules from Wikipedia, so don't quote me on them. Uh, No talking to police, Italian blood only, no sharing of family secrets, blood for blood, no infighting, give the boss their cut, no adultery and no facial hair. (laughs) The last one kind of seems a bit at odds with the rest of them, but that was apparently one of them. Uh, Again, quoting Wikipedia, so I'm not sure how true that is. Uh, But if you broke one of these rules... The penalty was severe and it was often death. That they held to this very strongly, which was in fact one of their strengths and why they were so successful. See, if you wanted to be part of the mafia, if you wanted to be part of the family, you had to live like the family. You couldn't just do your own thing. You couldn't go your own way. You had to live like the family. The family determined your life. Now, as we've just heard, uh, as what uh, Jeff was saying earlier, it's not only true for the mafia, uh, but it's true for all of our families, but thankfully in different ways. When you're part of a family, you live like the family. You, You take on family characteristics. You take on the family resemblance. Well, what our passage tells us today is we are a family. We are, in fact, God's family. We're his children. And that family, this new family that we're part of, determines how we live. We're to take on its resemblance. But what does that actually mean? How does that actually look? (coughs) Oh, sorry, excuse me. We've, We've got this command here to be imitators of God, but how does that play out? How do we actually do that? Well, that's what our passage today is all about. It is about how to live as part of this family. God's family is different to all other families. It's got a specific set of ways in which to live. And those ways are good. They're good for us. They're to the benefit of us and for our blessing. So what are they? Well, that's what we're going to unpack this morning. The first way of the family uh, is obedience. Right at the top of this passage, we're reminded of this new relationship we have, this new family that we're part of. Uh, Let me just read verses 1 and 2 again. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, why do we have this new relationship? Well, it's because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has offered himself as a sacrifice. That sacrifice was fragrant to God, uh, which means pleasing to him, accepted by him. God was glad for that sacrifice. It pleased him. But what's more, that sacrifice was credited to our account. As, As Paul makes clear, it was for us. We receive the benefits of Jesus' perfect and pleasing sacrifice and the result of that is our guilt, our punishment is completely removed. It's gone. That sacrifice has paid for it all. The result being now we, you and I, all who trust in him, are acceptable to God. All that stood between us is gone. 
And therefore, in love, by his grace, God has adopted us into his family. We've gone from being under sin, under its guilt and under its punishment, to being cleansed, to being adopted into the family, made God's own, his precious, loved children. And as such, not only has our status changed, but really our address has as well. We're called now to live as part of this family, to live as the family lives, to follow its ways, to to look like our father, to imitate him. But what does that mean? Well, come with me to verses 3 and 4. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. See, in God's family there is no place for sexual immorality. Uh, We use that word all the time, but... Essentially it means no sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, We're not just talking of sex here. Uh, We're talking about porn. We're talking about uh, fantasies. Any sexual activity outside of marriage here, it's no place for it. It's not part of the family. But that's not all. Uh, It's not limited to that. All kinds of impurity, that is everything outside of God's will, that too has no place in God's family. It's, it's forbidden. It's not in keeping with who we are. We're God's holy people. But not only that, greed too is mentioned here. The desire for more, the desire for better, this unrestrained yearning for what we don't have, that too is out. There's no place for it in God's family. All of these things, we are to have nothing to do with them. I don't know if you noticed how, how far that command goes. Not even a hint amongst us. We are to be free from them. Not even the suggestion, not even the thought. But it's not just deeds that are have, uh, to have no place amongst us. Words too. Uh, obscene language, foolish talk. That's not, not just silly talk, but malicious or destructive talk. Uh, coarse joking. That is, jokes which make light of good things, make a mockery of good things, especially sex, Uh, that God has given us. All of these things are out of place. They're out of keeping with who we are. We have a holy God, a holy Father. We're to live like him. Therefore, those things have no place here. They're not the family way. And so they're to have no part of us. That is what this family looks like. Uh, All families have their own peculiar ways. Uh, Every family is strange in its its own uh, sense. But I'll never forget one family that I've heard of. Uh, It was Melinda's nana's family. Uh, I remember once her telling us what it was like uh, for her growing up. She was in a big family, lots and lots of kids. Uh, To accommodate their large family, they had a very large dining table so that everyone could fit around it. Now, if you've ever sat at a large dining table, you know what the inconvenience is. Uh, you're forever passing things up and down the table. It, it, it drives you crazy. You can't even eat. You're forever moving condiments and bits and pieces. Well, Nana's family solved that. It became okay in their family to throw. <laughs> like, ser- like conservative Dutch family, throwing food. I can hardly believe it. But they did it. I don't know how they made that work, but somehow it did. Uh, I can just 
you know, kind of picture what dinner would be like. The butter goes flying one way, the salt across, I don't know how you throw peas, but apparently they would have done it. Chaos. But that's how they grew up. That, that was their normal. Now, a bit later in life, uh, Nana spent time at a maternity hospital uh, after the birth of, birth of their first child. Uh, it was custom then to spend two weeks uh, living, not quite in a hospital like we do it, but more in a community sort of home. They lived together, they, they shared together, they uh, had meals together. And that was fine. Until one morning, a lady down the table asked Nana for the butter. <laughs> and without a thought, Nana just picked it up and hoofed it down the table. <laughs> and I, I can, you can just imagine this poor first-time mother, butter flying through the air. I don't know, Nana didn't give us the outcome of this story, but I can only assume she wore the butter. Because that was normal for Nana. Not normal for most people. Each family is different. Uh, each family has their own ways. And as Nana had to learn, what worked in her previous family didn't work in that situation. It was out of place. And so it is with God's family. Our, our previous ways, the way we used to live, it's now out of place. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It, it, it kind of destroys the way the family ought to work. It's, our old ways are completely at odds with our new family and with our new holy and perfect father. Just in case we, we weren't getting that, Paul makes it very clear in the next verses. Look at verses 5 through 7. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. See, some will come to a passage like this and claim it's not actually that big a deal. You know, what Paul's talking about here, it's just cultural. Times were different then to now, so it doesn't matter. It's no longer relevant. Well, the passage is very blunt about those who would deceive us in such a way. It says straight out, there is no place in God's family for people who would treat his word like that. There is no inheritance from God coming for them. Now, of course, that's not talking about those who have just done these things but then repented. Paul's talking here about those who are unrepentant. Those who live this way, practice these things and pretend as if they're nothing. The, the warning is clear. God's wrath is coming to those who are disobedient. But how do we deal with them? I mean, let's be honest, we live in a world that immerses us with temptation to these things. How, how do we kill them off? How do we fight these temptations? Well, actually, Paul's given us a great clue and a great tool here. You might have seen it there in verse 4, right at the end. Not these things, but rather thanksgiving. Rather thanksgiving. That is the key here. Thankfulness, thanksgiving is the key. How? Because thankfulness starves temptation of oxygen. Because it points us to what we already have. See, the, the power of temptation, the strength of temptation is, it says to us, look what you don't have. Look what you could have. 
Whereas Thanksgiving says to us, look what you do have. Look what you've been given already. And in light of Ephesians, what a list that is. Uh, Even just this passage, what do we have already? Well, we are children of God. We, We have a family that we're part of, not only in this life, but into eternity. We have grace, we have love, we have an inheritance that lasts forever. See, that's the key, isn't it? Thankfulness for what we have. Remembering all that God has given us. That is the power to choke out, to snuff out temptation. So when we're tempted sexually, whether, whether you're married or single, it doesn't matter, whether it's through lustful thoughts or images or situations you find yourselves in, the way to fight is to stop and give thanks. Give thanks that you're God's child. Give thanks that in him you find all the fullness of love you will ever need. And when you do so, you will find temptation infinitely less powerful. Or when greed tempts, that that desire for more or for better, for for what your next door neighbour has or your sibling just got or, or for what the ad describes. Remember what you've got. Give thanks. God's given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. What more could you want? You already have now the the riches of him and you'll have them until eternity. What does that compare to anything this life could offer? When you're spending time with friends and the temptation is there to to push the conversation, to to say that that joke or that story. You You wouldn't say it in front of your Alma, but you'd say it there because it gets a laugh, it gets respect. Well, give thanks. You don't need to prove yourself in that way. You don't need to establish who you are or a reputation because God's already done that for you. He said, you're my child. You are so precious to me. You are so loved and you don't even need to earn it. See, temptation says to us, look what you don't have. Look what you could have. Look at what you're missing out on. But Thanksgiving reminds us, look what we do have. Look what God's given us already and give thanks. The heights of God's love are ours. The depths of his grace, the unfathomable riches of his mercy, the unsearchable kindness of him, every spiritual blessing in Christ, an inheritance that lasts till eternity. What don't we have? So give thanks. Give thanks. Remember who you are. Remember what you have. But see, when we became uh, children of God, it wasn't just our address that changed. Actually, Paul says it was also us. We changed who we are. Look with me at verses 8 through 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. I think it can be very easy for us to come to a passage like this and see the, the limitations, see, see the list of things not to do and, and just think, well, it feels like it's writing off our fun. It feels like we're being fenced in, denied all these things, pretty much that we're being told to stop enjoying life. But I think that's looking at it, well, actually, I know. I know that's looking at it the wrong way. 
Let me just ask you, who, who is it that moves most freely in a crowded, cluttered room? Uh, is it the one who attempts it in the dark with the lights off? Or is it the one who tries with a light on? I mean, it's quite simple, isn't it? Being in the light helps us. Uh, it helps us to move freely. It helps us to avoid obstacles. It helps us to, to, to avoid pain. It helps us live better. It gives us freedom and confidence. And that is why it is so good that not only has God given us the light, but in fact, as he said right there in verse 8, he has made us light. Who we are has changed. We were dark. We were in darkness, trapped, lost. But now that's all changed. We are in the light. We are light. How does that help us live? Well, look with me at verses 11 through 14. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even, uh, even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Why is it so good to have the light, to be the light? Because it helps us see clearly. It helps us see this world, it see our lives for what they truly are. And seeing clearly helps us to know how to please God, how, how to live for him, how to, to serve him, how to avoid evil, to see better and avoid the darkness. Uh, we have in our bathroom a toothbrush holder. It's, it's an unremarkable toothbrush holder, a ceramic jar, uh, completely sealed, but it's got four holes in the top uh, to put your toothbrushes in. Pretty simple. You will have seen one. Uh, they're like a dollar at Kmart if you would like to buy one later. <laughs> if this is somehow a revelation to you. Uh, it's a very simple design. One floor. You can't see inside. Now, I would never have ever thought that mattered until one day we figured we should probably clean it. Uh, so we took the toothbrushes out. Uh, we, we held it up to the light, you know, manoeuvring the holes so you can see in. And we're a little horrified. <laughs> uh, I won't describe it. Um, it would not be edifying. Uh, but it was black and a bit slimy and I sometimes wonder if I saw something move. Uh, <laughs> You didn't want that thing near your mouth, not even near your toothbrush. It was bad. And we never knew it was there until we shine the light in. <laughs> Shining that light in helps us to see this, this darkness that we never even knew existed. And so too it is with life. We, we, we dodge along, we, we live out our everyday life, things feel fine, they're going okay until the light's shone on us. And we see things that we don't really like all of a sudden. We realise actually not everything was going quite as well as we thought it was. That there's areas of darkness we'd never seen. That there's actually areas that are really bad and need work. That's why the light is so valuable to us. How do we shine that light? Well, the, 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 the clue is right there for us. Those qualities described in verse 9. Goodness, righteousness, truth. 
See, those are effectively our tools, our, 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 our toolkit for, for shining the light into our life. Because those three qualities help reveal the darkness, what's not right, what, what, what shouldn't be there, and point us to how we ought to please God. See, if something is not good or right or true, as the Bible helpfully defines and reveals to us, then it's darkness and we ought to avoid it. It's, it's, it's so simple. It's such a simple test. But still, people will say to us, but is that really enough? You know, how do you actually know what, what, it, what something is unless you've tried it, <laughs> unless you've been there? Try it, then you'll know for sure. But that's kind of like walking into a dark room and finding out how big it is by just walking until you hit the other side. It's kind of dumb and very painful. How much easier is it to shine the light and actually see clearly? And that's what we're being invited to here, to to test our lives, to test our world around us, to use these qualities, goodness, righteousness, truth, and know, know what truly is dark, know what truly is light. I mean, it is a simple test, but how rigorous it is. Ask yourself, is it good? Is it right? Is it true? I mean, it works for anything. Give it a try. Uh, just think. Do, you know, do the exercise now. Think how you spoke to your wife this morning or your kids or your brothers and sisters. Was it good? Was it right? Was it true? I mean, I have to admit, it was easier writing that on Friday than it was reading it this morning. When we test our lives, when we test our world by these criteria, there's a lot of things we might never have seen before. And that's a good thing. That's, that's what the light is there for. To help us avoid what would trip us up. To help us avoid the darkness that hurts us. And instead, find the way, know the way to please God. I suspect if we applied this truth to all of our lives, we would find a lot more darkness than we would ever want to admit, than we might ever suspect. It's a searching set of criteria. Shining shining this light might make us despair. If it wasn't for the end of verse 14. Look at at the, the, the little quotation there. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now it's a quotation here. We're not sure what Paul's quoting. Uh, It's similar to lots of verses in the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah. It could well be an early church hymn. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's not that important. But whatever it was, the truth it teaches us is simple and profound. Because it's saying to us, not only does the light point out the darkness but the light transforms it as well not only does the light point out the darkness it transforms it that's what is being described here the true light that is Jesus shone into the darkness into dark, asleep, dead people like you and me and makes us new wakes us up, rises us up raises us up and makes us new It's what John opens his gospel with. It's one of my favourite verses in the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 4. 
In him was life and that life was the light of men. See, where there was death, where there was darkness, life comes in the light of Christ. Not only does he point out the darkness, but he destroys it as well. Not only does he show us what's wrong, but he fixes it. See, we don't have to fear this light. We don't have to fear its searching work in us. It's painful, no doubt. But it's good. Because it's not there condemning us, it's there fixing us. Showing us the darkness and dispelling it. So what we're being told here is that who we are won't change. What we were told in the start of this passage, the fact that we are God's children, that is true. And that is always true. And the light helps us to live as such. The light points us the right way to kill the darkness, to please God. We are light and we are to use that light to live for him. Why? Why why are we being told like this? Why are we being told to live like children, to be the light? Well, it's towards what the final part of this passage looks to. We're being told this so that we can live wisely. Come with me to verses 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We are to be wise. What does it mean to be wise? Well, it is to make the most of every opportunity, literally to make the most of every time. Not to waste our time on drunkenness, as verse 18 tells us, but instead we're to be filled with the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? Well, look with me at verses 19 to 20. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, being filled by the Spirit means being filled with the things of the Spirit in our lives. Speaking truth to one another, rejoicing together in God, encouraging each other, building each other up together, praising God and giving thanks to Him. That's what Spirit-filled living looks like. Wisdom is using our time well. It is filling our time with the things of the Holy Spirit, the things of God. I don't know if you've ever seen the the competitions you can sometimes win at certain shops, uh, shopping spree competitions. Uh, You know, you enter the, the competition. If you win, you get, I don't know, three, four, five minutes in this shop and you can go crazy. Anything you can grab, you get to keep. I always thought that, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'd love to try that one day. But see, if, that, if you won that, uh, say you, you won it at, I don't know, Target, JB Hi-Fi, wherever, I'm guessing that if you won that, you wouldn't go in and, and, and start reading labels. Or, you know, calling the salesman over, is this really the product for me? Uh, that'd be nuts, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, a salesman's going to gladly talk to you for more than five minutes. You're going to waste all your time. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to run in and you are going to go crazy. You know, you're going to be taking big armfuls and heaving it in the trolley or whatever they give you. You're going to be frantic, grabbing whatever you can because your time's limited. Well, so is our time. 
Our time's not infinite. Uh, Jesus is coming back. It's what we heard earlier, isn't it? The next thing coming in history is Jesus' return. Our time is limited. You know, those guys who wear the billboards, they're right. (laughs) The end is nigh. It's on the horizon. Remember it and live wisely. Not wasting the time we've been given here. It is a gift of God. Not not indulging ourselves. I mean, Paul uses the the example of drunkenness uh, because it is a complete waste of time. I mean, no drunk ever did anything productive. Uh, Certainly not any kingdom work. But it's not like Paul's talking only about drunkenness here. He's he's saying, live wisely, use the time well. Don't indulge yourselves, don't fill your lives with things that are unproductive, but fill your lives with the Spirit. Work to his ends, practice his life. Do what this whole book is really about, building his kingdom, sharing his gospel, declaring his praise. That is what it means to live wisely. That is the best way for us to make use of the time we're given. Living for him and sharing him. We have the whole of eternity to enjoy the goodness of God and all the richness of his blessing in perfection. And so we're called here now to use our time wisely. John Piper in uh, one of his most famous sermons shared this story from the Reader's Digest. Uh, This is what he read. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the North East five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. And this is what Piper says. Piper says, that's a tragedy. The American dream, we might say Australian dream. A nice house, a nice car... A nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a nice golf swing and look at my boat. That's a tragedy. According to to Paul here, that is foolishness not making the most of our time. God has given us a chance here to build things, to grow things, to invest ourselves in things that will last forever. In his church, which will stand for the ages. In souls, which will live for eternity. That is wisdom. Spending ourselves on things that will last for all time. For his glory and his praise. See, our holidays, our our happiness will fade. We'll forget it. The work we do, the homes we build, the gardens we craft, they will be burnt up. But gospel work lasts forever. And what a tragedy to stand before God and say, I spent my life on the things of that world and they're gone. I've wasted my life. I lived like a fool. But what a joy to make the most of our time, to live wisely as children and to invest in the things of him.
because we can. It's, it's not we're being asked here to do something that, that's beyond us. No, it's simple. Being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the things of Him. It's, it's things within all of our reach. Speaking His truth, singing His praise, serving one another, building each other up, praising God. We can each do that. That is wisdom. That work lasts for eternity. I know it's simple, but it's profound. And it's to God's praise. Because doing these simple things, miraculous things happen. Eternal things happen. What is made will last forever. The riches of his glory, the praise to God, souls won for him, in us and through us, by his spirit. Don't squander the time you're given, but use it wisely for him and for eternity. See, the way of this new family we're part of, the way of God's family, is good. It's a way of thankfulness, not not being ruled by temptation. It's a way of light, not being lost in the dark and confused. And it's a way of wisdom, not of foolishness, not wastefulness, but a meaningful life with eternal consequences. See, God's way here is he's not trying to limit us. He is actually opening for us the best life that we could live. A life for him, a life with results in eternity. So let me lead you as we pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the glorious blessing of being your children, for knowing you as our perfect Heavenly Father, for having the promise of an eternal inheritance with you guaranteed to us. Father, fill us with joy as we remember these promises and help us to live gladly as your children. Father, help us to give thanks in all things. Help us to walk gladly in the light that you've given us. Help us to live wisely, knowing the time is limited. Father, help us by your Spirit to delight in the things of you, living for you, serving you, giving ourselves for you, for our Heavenly Father, who has loved us so richly. In Jesus we pray. Amen.